podcast for my mother. She read to me when I was little, so now I'm returning the favour and you're welcome to listen along. It's Sunday and that means I'm reading a classic. Thursdays are for offbeat stuff, but whatever I'm reading, it's always great writing. Tonight, we are in prison, on the Ile d'If, a tiny fortress island off the coast of Marseille in the south of France. It is 1815, and Edmond Dantes, a gifted sailor, only 19 years old, is prisoner 34. Dantes was about to be promoted to captain. He was about to wed his lovely fiancée, Mercedes. But a venal crewmate and a jealous love rival cooked up a false accusation of treason to get him out of their way. They accused Dantes of being a Bonapartist and therefore against the king. And Magistrate de Villefort, whose father truly was a Bonapartist at risk of charges, covered all this up by finding Dantes guilty instead, without trial, and sentencing the young man to prison. I am reading the French masterpiece, The Count of Monte Cristo, a grand adventure exploring despair, hope, and, very satisfyingly, vengeance. You see, Dantes gets his own back, don't you worry. He plays a very long game, and it is all fantastic fun to read. And it answers the age-old question, how do you get off a prison island with nothing but a sack containing a dead body and a handmade shank? So many movies and TV versions have been made of this story because it is a rollicking ride through France and Italy and Greece and Constantinople and, of course, Monte Cristo, which is part of Italy, but it just sounds so perfect on its own. But the words on the page are also terrific, and tonight I am reading a New York edition from 1888. But before I start, a bit about Alexandre Dumas-Père, who wrote The Count of Monte Cristo as a serialised work in 1844. He was born in France in 1802 and was a legendary pantsman. He was married for 19 years to an actress, Ida, but they had no kids. No problem, he had at least four and maybe seven kids with other women. And he had an interesting heritage. His daddy was born in Haiti. Grandmama was African. She had been a slave in Haiti prior to her marriage to Grandpapa. So Dumas-Père had a mixed-race background. And he was quite proud of it as you should be. You've got to be proud of where you're from. But I digress. The 19th century in France was filled to the brim with literature and art, and Dumas was pals with everybody. He was a larger-than-life bon vivant extraordinaire, and he loved a bit of dope. Hashish, to be precise, which was all the rage at the time. Dumas and Victor Hugo, and Balzac, and Delacroix, and the rest, all used to enjoy a puff of the ganja. That weed, that cush, that laughing grass. Unplug it, unplug it, don't strain. I love you, man. 
But he also had a bit of help from Auguste Marquet, who laid out basic plot lines, which Dumas could then fill. For some reason, Marquet was first happy to be reasonably paid and have his name left off the Three Musketeers and the Count of Monte Cristo with no royalties. But for some reason, he changed his mind and decided he would like a cut after all. He was unsuccessful in trying to get that. Foolish man, that's not how the law works. Marquet failed in trying to get his hands on some of Dumas' cash because Dumas was a talented writer on his own without assistance. And he didn't just have a good eye for the written word. He had a very good ear for dialogue. I am reading chapter one of The Count of Monte Cristo in which we meet our hero of vengeance, 19-year-old Edmond Dantes, in the port city of Marseille, in the south of France. Let's begin. On the 24th of February, 1815, the lookout at Notre-Dame de la Garde signalled the three-master, the pharaon, from Smyrna, Trieste and Naples. As usual, a pilot put off immediately and, rounding the Chateau d'If, got on board the vessel between Cape Morgiou and Rion Island. Immediately, and according to custom, the ramparts of Fort Saint-Jean were covered with spectators. It is always an event at Marseille for a ship to come into port, especially when this ship, like the Pharaon, had been built rigged and laden at the old Fauquie docks and belongs to an owner of the city. The ship drew on and had safely passed the strait, which some volcanic shock has made between the Calasarene and Yaros Islands, had doubled Pomeg and approached the harbour under topsails, jib and spanker, but so slowly and sedately that the idlers, with that instinct which is the forerunner of evil, asked one another what misfortune could have happened on board. However, those experienced in navigation saw plainly that if any accident had occurred, it was not to the vessel herself, for she bore down with all the evidence of being skilfully handled. The anchor, a cockbill, the jib-boom guys already eased off, and standing by the side of the pilot, who was steering the pharaon towards the narrow entrance of the inner port, was a young man who, with activity and vigilant eye, watched every motion of the ship and repeated each direction of the pilot. The vague disquietude which prevailed among the spectators had so much affected one of the crowd that he did not await the arrival of the vessel in harbour, but, jumping into a small skiff, desired to be pulled alongside the pharaon which he reached as she rounded into La Reserve Basin. When the young man on board saw this person approach, he left his station by the pilot and, hat in hand, leaned over the ship's bulwarks. He was a fine, tall, slim young fellow, of eighteen or twenty, with black eyes and hair as dark as a raven's wing. And his whole appearance bespoke that calmness and resolution peculiar to men accustomed from their cradle to contend with danger. Ah, is it you, Dantes? 
cried the man in the skiff. What's the matter, and why have you such an air of sadness aboard? A great misfortune, Monsieur Morel, replied the young man. A great misfortune, for me especially. Off Civitavecchia we lost our brave Captain Leclerc. And the cargo, inquired the owner eagerly, is all safe, Monsieur Morel, and I think you will be satisfied on that head, but poor Captain Leclerc. What happened to him? asked the owner, with an air of considerable resignation. What happened to the worthy captain? He died. Fell into the sea? No, sir, he died of brain fever in dreadful agony. Then, turning to the crew, he said, Bear a hand there to take in sail. All hands obeyed, and at once the eight or ten seamen who composed the crew sprang to their respective stations at the spanker brails and outhaul, topsail sheets and halyards, the jib down haul and the topsail clue lines and bunt lines. The young sailor gave a look to see that his orders were promptly and accurately obeyed, and then turned again to the owner. And how did this misfortune occur? inquired the latter, resuming the interrupted conversation. Alas, sir, in the most unexpected manner. After a long talk with the harbour master, Captain Leclerc left Naples greatly disturbed in mind. In twenty-four hours he was attacked by a fever and died three days afterwards. We performed the usual burial service, and he is at his rest, sewn up in his hammock, with a thirty-six pound shot at his head and his heels, off El Giglio Island. We bring to his widow his sword and cross of honour. It was worthwhile, truly, added the young man with a melancholy smile, to make war against the English for ten years, and to die in his bed at last, like everybody else. Why, you see, Edmund, replied the owner, who appeared more comforted at every moment, we are all mortal, and the old must make way for the young. If not, why, there would be no promotion. And since you assure me that the cargo is all safe and sound, Monsieur Morel, take my word for it, and I advise you not to take 25,000 francs for the profits of the voyage. Then, as they were just passing the round tower, the young man shouted, Stand by there to lower the topsails and jib. Braille up the spanker. The order was executed as promptly as it would have been on board a man of war. Let go and clue up. At this last command, all the sails were lowered and the vessel moved almost imperceptibly onwards. Now, if you will come on board, Monsieur Morel, said Dantes, observing the owner's impatience, here is your supercargo, Monsieur Danglars, coming out of his cabin, who will furnish you with every particular. As for me, I must look after the anchoring and dress the ship in mourning. The owner did not wait for a second invitation. He seized a rope which Dantes flung to him and with an activity that would have done credit to a sailor, climbed up the side of the ship while the young man, going to his task, left the conversation to Danglars, who now came towards the owner. He was a man of twenty-five or twenty-six years of age of unprepossessing countenance, obsequious to his superiors, 
insolent to his subordinates. And this, in addition to his position as responsible agent on board, which is always obnoxious to the sailors, made him as much disliked by the crew as Edmond Dantes was beloved by them. Well, Monsieur Marel, said Danglars, you have heard of the misfortune that has befallen us? Yes, yes, poor Captain Leclerc. He was a brave and honest man. And a first-rate seaman, one who had seen long and honourable service, as became a man charged with the interests of a house so important as that of Morel and Son, replied Danglars. But, replied the owner, glancing after Dantes, who was watching the anchoring of his vessel, it seems to me that a sailor needs not be so old as you say, Danglars, to understand his business, for our friend Edmond seems to understand it thoroughly, and not to require instruction from anyone. Yes, said Danglars, darting at Edmond a look gleaming with hate. Yes, he is young, and youth is invariably self-confident. Scarcely has the captain's breath out of his body when he assumed the command without consulting anyone, and he caused us to lose a day and a half at the island of Elba, instead of making for Marseille direct. As to taking command of the vessel, replied Morel, that was his duty as captain's mate. As to losing a day and a half off the island of Elba, he was wrong, unless the vessel needed repairs. The vessel was in as good condition as I am, and as I hope you are, Monsieur Morel, and this day and a half was lost from pure whim for the pleasure of going ashore and nothing else. Dantes, said the shipowner, turning towards the young man, come this way. In a moment, sir, answered Dantes, and I am with you. Then calling to the crew, he said, let go. The anchor was instantly dropped and the chain ran rattling through the porthole. Dantes continued at his post in spite of the presence of the pilot until this manoeuvre was completed, and then he added, Half-mast the colours and square the yards. You see, said Danglars, he fancies himself captain already, upon my word. And so, in fact, he is, said the owner. He is young, it is true, but he seems to me a thorough seaman and of full experience. A cloud passed over Danglars' brow. Your pardon, Monsieur Morel, said Dantes, approaching. The vessel now rides at anchor, and I am at your service. You hailed me, I think. Danglars retreated a step or two. I wish to inquire why you stopped at the island of Elba. I do not know, sir. It was to fulfil the last instructions of Captain Leclerc, who, when dying, gave me a packet for Marshal Bertrand. Then did you see him, Edmond? Who? The Marshal. Oh, yes. Morel looked around him, and then, drawing Dantes to one side, he said suddenly, And how is the Emperor? Very well, as far as I could judge from the sight of him. You saw the Emperor then? He entered the Marshal's apartment while I was there. And you spoke to him? Why, it was he who spoke to me, sir, said Dantes with a smile. And what did he say to you? 
asked me questions about the vessel, the time she left Marseille, the course she had taken, and what was her cargo. I believe if she had not been laden and I had been her master, he would have bought her. But I told him I was only mate and that she belonged to the firm of Morel and Son. Ah, yes, he said, I know them. The Morels have been shipowners from father to son, and there was a Morel who served in the same regiment with me when I was in garrison at Valence. Pardieu, and that is true, cried the owner, greatly delighted. And that was Polycar Morel, my uncle, who was afterwards a captain. Dantes, you must tell my uncle that the emperor remembered him, and you will see it will bring tears into the old soldier's eyes. Come, come, continued he, patting Edmond's shoulder kindly. You did very right, Dantes, to follow Captain Leclerc's instructions and touch at Elba, although if it were known that you had conveyed a packet to the marshal and had conversed with the emperor, it might bring you into trouble. How could that bring me into trouble, sir? asked Dantes, for I did not even know of what I was the bearer and the emperor merely made such inquiries as he would of the first comer. But, pardon me, here are the health officers and the customs inspectors coming alongside. And the young man went to the gangway. As he departed, Danglars approached and said, Well, it appears that he has given you satisfactory reasons for his landing at Porto Ferraio. Yes, most satisfactory, my dear Danglars. Well, so much the better, said the supercargo, for it is not pleasant to think that a comrade has not done his duty. Dantes has done his, replied the owner, and that is not saying much. It was Captain Leclerc who gave orders for this delay. Talking of Captain Leclerc, has not Dantes given you a letter from him? To me? No. Was there one? I believe that, besides the packet, Captain Leclerc confided a letter to his care. Of what packet are you speaking, Danglars? Why, that which Dantes left at Porto Ferraio. How do you know he had a packet to leave at Porto Ferraio? Danglars turned very red. I was passing close to the door of the captain's cabin, which was half opened, and I saw him give the packet and letter to Dantes. He did not speak to me of it, replied the shipowner. But if there be any letter, he will give it to me. Danglars reflected for a moment. Then, Monsieur Morel, I beg of you, said he, not to say a word to Dantes on the subject. I may have been mistaken. At this moment, the young man returned. Danglars withdrew. Well, my dear Dantes, are you now free? inquired the owner. Yes, sir. You have not been long detained? No, I gave the custom house officers a copy of our bill of lading, and as to the other papers, they sent a man off with the pilot, to whom I gave them. Then you have nothing more to do here? No, everything is all right now. Then you can come and dine with me. I really must ask you to excuse me, Monsieur Morel. My first visit is due to my father though I am not the less grateful for the honour you have done me. Right, Dantes, quite right. I always knew you were a good son. 
and inquired Dantes with some hesitation, Do you know how my father is? Well, I believe, my dear Edmond, though I have not seen him lately. Yes, he likes to keep himself shut up in his little room. And that proves at least that he has wanted for nothing during your absence. Dantes smiled. My father is proud, sir, and if he had not a meal left, I doubt if he would have asked anything from anyone except from heaven. Well, then, after this first visit has been made, we shall count on you. I must again excuse myself, Monsieur Morel, for after this first visit has been paid, I have another which I am most anxious to pay. Ah, true, Dantes, I forgot that there was at the Catalans someone who expects you no less impatiently than your father, the lovely Mercedes. Dantes blushed. Aha, said the shipowner, I am not in the least surprised, for she has been to me three times inquiring if there was any news of the Faraon. Edmond, you have a very handsome mistress. She is not my mistress, replied the young sailor gravely. She is my betrothed. Sometimes one and the same thing, said Morel with a smile. Not with us, sir, replied Dantes. Well, well, my dear Edmond, continued the owner, don't let me detain you. You have managed my affairs so well that I ought to allow you all the time you require for your own. Do you want any money? No, sir. I have all my pay to take, nearly three months' wages. You are a careful fellow, Edmond. Say, I have a poor father, sir. Yes, yes, I know how good a son you are. So now hasten away to see your father. I have a son too, and I should be wroth with those who detained him from me after a three months' voyage. Then I have your leave, sir. Yes, if you have nothing more to say to me. Nothing. Captain Leclerc did not, before he died, give you a letter for me? He was unable to write, sir. But that reminds me that I must ask your leave of absence for some days. To get married? Yes, first, and then to go to Paris. Very good. Have what time you require, Dantes. It will take six weeks to unload the cargo, and we cannot get you ready for sea until three months after that. Only be back again in three months, for the Pharaon, added the owner, patting the young sailor on the back, cannot sail without her captain. Without her captain, cried Dantes, his eyes sparkling with animation. Pray mind what you say, for you are touching on the most secret wishes of my heart. Is it really your intention to make me captain of the Pharaon? If I were the sole owner, we'd shake hands on it now, my dear Dantes, and call it settled. But I have a partner, and you know the Italian proverb. Chi accompagno a padrone. He who has a partner has a master. But the thing is at least half done, as you have one out of two votes. Rely on me to procure you the other. I will do my best. Ah, uh, Monsieur Morel, exclaimed the young seaman, with tears in his eyes and grasping the owner's hand. Monsieur Morel, I thank you in the name of my father and of Mercedes. That's all right, Edmund. There's a providence that watches over the deserving. Go to your father, go and see Mercedes, and afterwards come to me. 
Shall I row you ashore? No, thank you. I shall remain and look over the accounts with Don Gla. Have you been satisfied with him this voyage? That is according to the sense you attach to the question, sir. Do you mean, is he a good comrade? No, for I think he never liked me, since the day when I was silly enough, after a little quarrel we had, to propose to him to stop for ten minutes at the island of Monte Cristo to settle the dispute, a proposition which I was wrong to suggest, and he quite right to refuse. If you mean as responsible agent, when you ask me the question, I believe there is nothing to say against him, and that you will be content with the way in which he has performed his duty. Hmm, but tell me, Dantes, if you had command of the Pharaon, should you be glad to see Danglars remain? Captain or mate, Monsieur Morel, I shall always have the greatest respect for those who possess the owner's confidence. That's right, that's right, Dantes. I see you are a thoroughly good fellow, and will detain you no longer. Go, for I see how impatient you are. Then I have leave? Go, I tell you. May I have the use of your skiff? Certainly. Then, for the present, Monsieur Morel, farewell, and a thousand thank yous. I hope soon to see you again, my dear Edmond. Good luck to you. The young sailor jumped into the skiff and sat down in the stern sheets, with the order that he be put ashore at La Canabière. The two oarsmen bent to their work, and the little boat glided away as rapidly as possible in the midst of the thousand vessels which choke up the narrow way which leads between the two rows of ships from the mouth of the harbour to the Quai d'Orléans. The shipowner, smiling, followed him with his eyes until he saw him spring out on the quay and disappear in the midst of the throng. On turning around, the owner saw Danglars behind him, apparently awaiting orders, but in reality also watching the young sailor. But there was a great difference in the expression of the two men, who thus followed the movements of Edmond Dantes. And that's where we'll leave it tonight. The owner looking fondly at Edmond Dantes and Danglars vibrating with hatred. Imagine what a cliffhanger that was in 1844 as this story was published as a serial. Every chapter is designed like this. You can absolutely see why The Count of Monte Cristo was a hit immediately. It is completely engrossing and we are transported to the peril of poor Dantes. I think the writing and dialogue is superb. And I'm not the only one. The Count of Monte Cristo has never been out of print. But there is a query about just how many copies have been sold since it began life as a serial. But whatever the number is, it's a classic, and it's in everyone's top 100 books to read before you die list, because it is such incredible fun. I cannot recommend it highly enough, and I hope you feel encouraged to give it a try. Reading or listening, it is wonderful. Right then, that's your lot. I'll be on the road this week, taking in some Australian country driving. 
but there will be an episode on Thursday, 9pm Sydney time, and it will be something offbeat. I wish you all a great and safe week wherever you are. As always, thanks so much for all you listeners, for your kind emails of suggestions and for reviews of the podcast. Our little community has grown week by week and I'm delighted this week to welcome new listeners in Guam and Costa Rica. Welcome. Check out past episodes. There is plenty of great writing to enjoy. Till next time then, take care. It's slippery out there. And thanks for listening to Nitty Me. Nitty Me.